Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Litigation uh, can be can be a really complex and, and high risk approach to solving disputes, but in many cases, it uh, litigation or, or at least the threat of it becomes a plaintiff's only option. As we've learned on Chicago's legal latte over the years, most lawsuits end in settlement, um, and those that do often uh, really require a significant time commitment as the case works its way through the court system. Hi, everybody. Jim Mitchell back with you for another year of podcasts, and we're going to discuss litigation today, um, and we're going to look at how it can be an advantage uh, to draw on the knowledge of an attorney with a significant background in litigation practice, and today we are joined by Attorney Matthew Sheehan, Matt's partner at Lavelle Law Limited, and has been recognized as a super lawyer by Super Lawyer Magazine multiple times in recent years, so we're fortunate to have him with us. Um, A lot to talk about. First of all, Matt, welcome back. Nice to talk to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jim. Thanks a lot. So let's let's start, um, you know, some some definitions and kind of set the table here a little bit. When when we're looking at business litigation in particular, is this where we start to get into today's topic, which is, uh, you know, potentially lost profits? Yes, that's a, a, a very common uh, type of damages for business cases. Uh, and whether or not uh, you're going to be able to recover lost profits uh, depends uh, not only upon the type of claim that you have, but also the proof that you're able to bring uh, in discovery uh, leading up to trial, and then uh, you know obviously at trial in front of the judge or jury. Mm-hmm. And and is that term lost profits is that really as simple as it sounds in terms of a definition? Well, yeah, I mean, conceptually, it probably is, uh, but obviously the devil's in the details. And, uh, you know, typically in a contract dispute, um, it has to be at least foreseeable uh, that the parties are contemplating that lost profits might be, um, uh, you know, outflowing out from a breach of that contract in order to recover them. Now, obviously, every contract's different, and every case and every fact scenario is a little bit different. Um, but generally, it's got to be somewhat foreseeable. So, if, you know, really the law, uh, the overall kind of principle is that the, if you're able to prove a breach uh, of contract, that the, the court wants to put the non-breaching party, the plaintiff, into the position that the plaintiff would have been but for the breach. So, what you know, what would the plaintiff had stood to um, get here or make here if uh, the breach did not occur. I mean, that's generally how the court's going to look at it. Sometimes lost profits fits into that. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, so let's kind of break down the, the, the places it does, places it doesn't, when this is a, uh, a suitable pursuit in terms of damages. What what types of instances, you, you mentioned obviously breach of contract, you know, what, what are some of the instances in which you as an attorney representing someone think that seeking lost profits is a, is a suitable resolution? Well, I certainly, you know, it's a, a typical example in a breach contract might be, uh, for example, an employment agreement that you have with a, a top-level uh, executive, and maybe you're guaranteeing a certain amount of money over a certain amount of years, and part of that might, uh, part of that employment agreement, a written one. This is not, you know, a typical at-will employment relationship. This would be a written employment agreement, and um, uh, typical in those type of agreements might be a non-compete, a non-solicit 
clause where if the employee were to leave your employment and go to someone else, he can't, you know, come and poach your clients that he was introduced to while he or she was working for you. Obviously, if he he or she left your company in the middle of that employment contract and took your big customer to his new company, um, lost profits, I think, would be a, a, a pretty um, a good way of recovering damages in that case because um, that's really what uh, you as the uh, former employer are losing. You're losing the profits you made on that customer as a result of his breach. So that might be a typical kind of breach of contract action as opposed to something where maybe I'm ordering widgets from a vendor, um, you know, that vendor doesn't uh, come through or breaches the contract and doesn't deliver the widgets and I have to go buy them somewhere else. Really, that's not a lost profit case. You would then maybe get the difference between the price between, uh, you know, the widgets with the vendor that uh, breached the contract um, and how much more you had to pay for them on the open market. So if you had to pay 10 bucks more a widget and you had 100 widgets, obviously you do the math, and that's that's really your damages in that case. It's just what is the logical uh, flow of damages to the non-breaching party is kind of how you always have to think about it. Okay. And and any particular, you mentioned there the, the um, you know, the product issue. Are there other instances in which you might not pursue this? And, and in, in some cases, would that be based on just lack of ability to actually prove or calculate what those damages might be or lost profits might yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously in order to prove lost profits, and and you'll get a lot of challenges about uh, your profit, your lost profits, um, damages analysis, both kind of throughout the litigation and certainly at trial. Um, you know, if you're claiming lost profits in your complaint, your defendant might even try to knock it out uh, before trial and try to get a court to, you know, bar you from even asking for it. Um, but I think a lot of people drop the ball um, by not providing the proof. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, in order to prove, you can't have speculation. The court will not grant you um, what you thought you might make. You've got to be able to prove it with a reasonable degree of certainty. So if you have a company, for example, that's been in, let's say in the last example I gave, you had that c- customer for 10 years and you had this employee working for you. Well, you're probably going to be able to demonstrate, you know, over the last five years, what kind of profit you made with that client. Now, the bigger the company and the the bigger the uh, uh, client, it might be more difficult to separate out the cost and really get to the true net profit figure. Um, but the most persuasive types of evidence would include verifiable data, you know, tax returns, uh, income and profit statements that um, the company has kept over the years in the ordinary course of business, um, some kind of corroborated profit history, uh, either by client or, or on the company of, of hold, and a comparative kind of profit performance. Um, so a lot of times that includes looking at tax returns, uh, looking at um, you know f- uh, financial statements, and if you if you're able to break it down to that particular, um, in this case, what uh, you know where a former employee stole that particular client, if you're able to break it down to that particular client and kind of compartmentalize that, that's even more persuasive um, because uh, it's going to be you know obviously you're if you're losing the client, you're also losing. Um, the cost outlay that you have mm-hmm. to service that client, so you've got to get to that net profit number. Yeah, so it's really about profit. It's not just about lost revenue then. Correct. And so to go back to the speculation question then, um, because you just referenced uh, you know, having some history to, to refer back to, this probably wouldn't be something then that you'd find very useful if it was um, – 
you know, a situation with maybe a startup company or someone who was looking for an investor and thought they had uh, what they needed to, to launch their entrepreneurial dream and somebody walked away, there, there's really no record there to say this is the type of profit we would have achieved because there's, there's no history in it. Correct. And there are, in fact, there are states in uh, the country that, you know, actually have what's called a, uh, um, um, a new business exception. Uh, where you know, it, 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 since new businesses lack past experience from which the profits can be estimated, uh, it's very difficult to make a reasonably certain claim for the loss of expected profits. And, and so, certain states, such as Virginia and uh, I think Minnesota is one as well, uh, they actually bar recovery of lost profits for newly established businesses. Uh, Illinois doesn't have that quite that. Um, kind of bright line test against new businesses mm-hmm. but it is it is difficult uh but however for example they will Illinois courts have created exceptions to that rule where the new business venture was selling products similar to other products with a known market so uh, if there was a breach, um, then that new business might be able to look at the industry uh, as a whole and introduce, um, you know, typical profit margins of other uh, companies like itself uh, based on that particular product that's out there on the marketplace and be able to prove it up like that. Of course, that would require some experts in that industry to testify about, um, you know, the cost and, and the profit margin for that particular product. So it's definitely tougher. Uh, when you have a new business, uh, but in Illinois it's actually not impossible, but it is difficult. And if if a court finds that uh, it is speculative and not based on a reasonable degree of certainty, they will disallow it. Mm-hmm. And um, you you mentioned there are expert witnesses, and that's that's I think where we want to turn next. And for those mm-hmm. of you joining us, I'm, I'm talking to uh, Attorney uh, Matthew Sheen. He's a partner at Lavelle Law, and and been with us a number of times on the podcast. Um, frequent contributor here. You can. Also find articles he's written along with some of his colleagues. If, if you go to LavelleLaw.com, the home page, there's an articles tab. You can find uh, their writings and then a media tab, which leads to videos and, and our past podcasts. So I suggest LavelleLaw.com for everyone. Um, expert witnesses, you and I have talked about them in other types of cases in the past. Um, so I, I assume from what you'd said that they can be relied on rather heavily in, in these instances as well. Yes, I mean you don't necessarily need it. You know, generally experts or the the you know experts are expensive. They're not cheap, just like like lawyers. Um, so you're going to take a look at the value of the case and the value of the damages that you're really trying to get in order to decide whether or not it's worth getting an expert. But um, certainly in this case uh, where you're looking at lost profits, uh, you know, an accountant that's testified before that you know can really make sense of uh, financial statements and tax returns and and more importantly may be able to really pinpoint and separate out uh, you know general overhead co- cost compared to direct cost to this particular product line or this particular customer that was uh, you know a, 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 was really the source of the breach uh, and they can uh, help a fact finder the judge or the jury really understand the dollars so they may you know you might have three or four years of tax returns and a lot of numbers to look at. And, um, you know, certainly the parties can try to explain it as as business people, uh, but it might make more sense for to put the accountant on the stand or go ahead and hire a kind of a third-party independent accountant to take a look at these financial figures and really uh, kind of parse them down to a, a point uh, where the judge and jury are better able to understand it and really do the calculations. So frequently you'll get an accountant that does that uh, and they'll be deposed on what they reviewed and how they came up with their calculations and obviously we'll take 
take the stand and be subject to cross-examination, um, but at least you'll have then a, a report from um, a financial expert and accountant that's you know deals in all these types of documents regularly, and in this case would obviously take the financial data that's making up the damages claim and really kind of um, give a very thorough, detailed explanation of how they arrived at the dollar amount at which they arrived on. And then you've got someone other than the party uh, taking the stand and, and supporting the damages claim, and that can be very persuasive. And, and that's uh, really something else I wanted to ask you about, and I think you kind of hit it already, but uh, is that one of the challenges? We, we talked about a lot of cases getting resolved before they get into court, but if you if you have to go to court in front of a jury, are these types of cases difficult? Because really, problem, it's a complicated math problem, mm-hmm. and to, the ability to sort of work your way through that and prove a point, it's, it's different, I would imagine, than other things that you do in court, and I assume that that's part of the challenge of one of these. Yes, and it is it is more difficult. You do have to really pay attention to the proofs, and, you, and obviously you have to give the other side everything you're going to rely upon in order to calculate your damages. So early on in the case, if they're asking how you're getting to these lost profits, you got to give them those tax returns. you got to give them that financial information. Uh, you have to you know, show them what you're going to use in order to prove it up at trial. Um, but and I do think an expert is useful. And in fact, in a, a trial I had last year, I was on the defendant side, and um, they put up an expert uh, to testify about their damages. We actually had a rebuttal witness who was deposed previously, uh, but in the end, we decided not to call our expert because we felt that they hadn't carried their burden, and we didn't want to uh, spend the time or energy uh, going through another examination and another cross-examination with our witness um, when we thought that they had not met their burden, so we decided not to, to call our witness, and we actually prevailed, so it was a good decision. But those are the kind of decisions that have to be made at trial, and sometimes you don't know until until the trial testimony is actually happening or concluded, and you can take a look at, and, you know, did they prove what they needed to prove? Did, were they persuasive? Did Do we think that the judge or jury believed them? Um, mm-hmm. And then you have to make some, you know, strategic decisions from there. Well, very uh, substantial insight there from Attorney Matthew Sheehan today. And, uh, Matthew, thanks for being with us, as always. Appreciate the time. And I certainly want to say thanks to everyone who uh, took time to listen and be a part of the podcast today. Again, LavelleLaw.com, great place to find out more about Matthew and his practice and uh, get some information. And, of course, if time permits, uh, take a listen to some of our past discussions as well. We'll look forward to having you with us again next time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.